0: welcome to the wicked aloha podcast in this episode we're going to talk about a race both patrick and i have competed in multiple times and come to love it was the first ultra marathon paddling race i competed in in 2012 and patrick has now raced it four times each year it draws nearly 600 competitors from across the country and beyond and takes paddlers down a visually amazing but always challenging stretch of water it is the chattajack we are going to discuss how this year's race went some things that have worked for us in past Chatterjacks, and some things that haven't gone so well. So please enjoy as we dive into more long-distance paddling.
1: So here we are, Nantucket in the rain, Maui sunshine.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Wicked Aloha podcast. Welcome. It's been a couple weeks uh, since, our last, since our last, our last chat. And yeah. today, we are going to talk about the Chatterjack. It is a exactly. very well-known race at this point. It sells out almost instantly when like Maui registration, registration opens. And uh, it's become one of the most popular races across the country. And so we thought we would chat about it just because Patrick just went there um so patrick why don't you start by just telling us a little bit about how this year went in general
1: yeah um first what was the first year you went there was it 2011 or 2012 you were the first year right so the
0: first year it ran was 2012 and it, it was my first uh ultra marathon race yeah. so over over 26 miles yeah i remember so I you it. talking
1: about it you were saying something i remember the name being weird you're like this race called chatted jack i'm like what the fuck is a chatted jack but <clears throat> i didn't think i got there until i guess two years later 2014 was the first year i did it and then i missed 15 and then every year since then so it's i would have had my buckle uh last year but I missed 15, but I think there's a bunch of us coming up next year for buckles, and then I think there were about 30 people this year that got them. And so just some
0: background on Jack. it takes place every year in Chattanooga, Tennessee. It is 31 miles on the Tennessee River Gorge, and if you do the race five years consecutively, you get a belt buckle. A sweet belt buckle. You earn your belt buckle. You certainly do. Um, But was it earning it it this year?
1: Yeah, not as bad as years past. I mean, I still really believe that uh, when the collective race community starts fretting about the weather, the weather hears. And it's like, oh, you motherfuckers want weather? I'll give you some weather. And that's what happens every year. So this year, thankfully, the forecast uh, on Friday was they were calling for rain at like 4 a.m so we'd have been standing out staging in the rain and it was supposed to be rainy all day but but up to 70 at the finish so the the what the heat was good this year but i think ever since ben changed it like pushed it a week back towards halloween the weather's been just nasty but that being said this year was actually pretty good i think uh the top three guys actually broke the the fourteen record by I think two minutes or something. Danny and uh that Olivier kid. I, I don't remember if he was from France or Tahiti. He's a French citizen, either way, and then Larry got third. Um uh, but it was it was a fast year, I think all in all. So my I I didn't have such a great time. My time was like five thirty, which I guess isn't too bad. But it's not one of my better times. But it was the first time I did fourteen and, I think it's my, uh, three years, the past three years I've done unlimited, but I like being in the 14 better. I I just feel like more of my friends paddle that, that group. And it's just a little more, I almost feel like it's a better way to get down the river, but, uh, sometimes those big boards can get a little unruly if the weather gets bad. But anyway, I agree.
0: Yeah. So, so the years, the, the years I did it. I did it in 2012, 2013, and then 2016. I think oh, wow. I came back and did it yep. with you and the rest of the crew. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, so I did it twice on a stand-up paddleboard. First two years, uh, I did use an unlimited 18-foot board, um, unlimited class being anything over 14 feet. And then the third year, I did it in an outrigger. Can you OC1 that I borrowed from you? Yes. So, uh, but talking about weather, so the first year I did it, we woke up to frost all over the embankment. Uh, The second year I did it, we woke up to snow all over the embankment, light coating of snow. And then the race was actually delayed that year because. There was too much fog on the river. Oh, yeah, that was the fog year. I remember that. I remember hearing about that. To give insight about what the temperatures were like. So we're talking temperatures in the mid-30s to Mm -hmm. start both years. And then finishing in the 70s, Um, you know, it it was just hot sun by the time we got. And then third year, it was fairly cold, I think, that year, 2016, was that that might have been the first year that they started on the other side on the other side of the river, mm-hmm. which added a little a little bit more of an obstacle in the morning, um, but still completely doable and yeah. allowed for for more competitors. Um, I remember the first year I did it, there was I think 50 competitors. Wow! And then how many were there this year?
1: When I talked to Ben before the race, he sent me this. <laughs> amazing little text with this animated gif and it was this devil guy with a goat head and there were two like devil women break dancing around a pentagram on the street and he said 666 registered participants wow I was, I was like yes but i, I looked at the, at the finished um list this year because i made a i made a trophy for the last place finisher which i never made contact with but i think this year 483 finished and there were a bunch of DNFs. i'm not really sure what the start number was i know there were 650 plus registered but i know at least three guys from up here that bailed last minute and i think one guy uh, i think you know who they are but um a couple of the guys never even told them they weren't coming and i kind of send out texts like, Hey, if you're not going to go, at least let them know so someone can have the spot. But I think that happens a lot. I think people sign up and there are different reasons. I think some people bail out because shit happens. And then some people just realize that they didn't train and they don't want to do it. And they, they want to save face by not saying anything and they just bail. And then that seat, that spot goes unfilled, which kind of sucks. But I think there could be a way I've been thinking about that. And, uh, bringing it up to Ben, but I'm just trying to think of a way that they can more accurately do the waitlist thing of maybe sending out a verification email six days or seven days prior to the race and just saying, are you for sure coming? Are you for sure not coming? And maybe give an incentive for bailing out of like, okay, you can have a hundred bucks back if you bail out now so we can fill your spot and just give an incentive instead of people just ghosting and having spots go unused, you know, which kind of sucks because there was like, I think there were 90 people or something, 88 people on the wait list. When the last I checked, there was quite a few people still on there. And at least that many
0: didn't race. I would, I would assume. Do you know how quickly the race sold out this year?
1: I don't know for sure. I know it was less than a day. It was right at 24 hours or even more ridiculous. I'm not, I don't know right off the top of my head, but it was quick. I know everybody up here was up at midnight and, you know, the next morning there was a bunch of ball breaking going on about, I got up at
0: midnight to register and... Just complete anticipation. It's almost like uh, yeah. concert tickets going on sale for... It is. You know, it when, is. when you were in high school and you had to go see the band. It's like, this is the race that you have to go to. Yeah. Um, I... I didn't have that problem when I first went. Um, <laughs> Nobody wants to paddle 31 miles, and no. it seems like since then, people are structuring their entire year around training just for this particular race. Mm-hmm. It's it's like it's like their own little Everest to you know paddle that distance, um, and it 31 miles is nothing to shake a fist at know then you throw in the, the the weather conditions and the wind and just 600 people to deal with. Yeah. Uh, and so I can see how someone structures their entire year around just being able to say they finished mm Mhm. Um so in it's turn? it's go ahead. It's it's in the
1: the realm of the Catalina and and the Molokais, you know, if it's it's the thirty-two mile number. And you know, for a lot of people, traveling to Hawaii or California with a gigantic board is and doing a crossing is pretty daunting, you know. So I think for a lot of people this gives people access to that level of race. And it's one, it's pretty safe. You can you can pretty much tap anywhere you want. If you blew up and you you know tore your bicep off there's aid boats and there's basically salvation fifty yards to your left, to your right. You know, you can just get on the bank. It's not to say you can just get out anywhere, but there there are aid stations and, and pull out spots. It's just a lot safer and it's a lot more accessible to people. And um it's funny, man, every every year the night before, you start looking at the weather um forecast and you just say to yourself, like man, how much longer are people going to sign up to just get fucking destroyed by shitty weather? And the funny thing is, is the worse it gets, the higher the numbers get, and the more people sign up, and the faster it sells out. You know, a couple of years ago, we had that that freezing year, and it's interesting that you brought up the frosting. The first year I did it, we had frost on the ground, too. That was the year Lauren went with us, and mm-hmm. we're, I remember picking up the boards at Coolidge Park, and there were, like, the little imprints in the, in the frost. So it does you know it does it does get cold and i i guess it has always been just due to the time of year i guess the uh that's just the nature of the beast but you know a few years ago i was 20 it must have been the year after you came into outrigger we had that really cold year when it was like 40 degrees and raining and nobody prepared and including myself i didn't take a rain jacket and that was probably as close as i've come to shutting down like right up there with Yukon of just like going fully hypothermic like couldn't talk and
0: I, ended I remember up, you telling me about that yeah and I ended up bumming a
1: jacket off of actually Jeremy Vane was on the media boat or he was on a stand-up and uh, I just said dude I gotta borrow your jacket and he gave it to me and I was able to finish but it was uh it was brutal
0: so you talked a little bit about logistics and as far as logistics go, this it, it can be easy, but it can be more difficult. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of bailed this year just because of logistics. Traveling yeah. to Hawaii, it's, it's a huge commitment. Um, totally. There are people on the mainland that are traveling from California, from Florida, you're in New England, yeah. uh, from Canada, and like all these big long distance races they are they could be a logistical nightmare Um, yes i mean you you really helped me out in 2016 by just getting me a boat um Mm -hmm. i know this year um my wife diana and i we were playing with the idea of going out and we were basic i was reaching out to people i hadn't talked to in years to see if i could borrow a boat or something if we could get a six man anything um, just so we could be there and paddle it and experience it, and yeah. Things weren't just line; things just didn't line up. And um, but so you you actually help out a number of paddlers up in New England every year just by bringing boards,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's a huge help. I know other people trip, you know, same thing. They have a trailer full of boats or boards, yeah, canoes, everything. They just send it. Um, and then as far as where, where do you stay in Chattanooga? What is kind of the plan leading up to the race, race week? Like, what does that all look like in Chattanooga for you?
1: Um, originally we started, when we did the, the race the first time in 2014, we got this gigantic house downtown. And it was, I think that's the year Lauren, and um Bellman, Lauren. Lauren's husband, a bunch of people. I think there were 14 people in the house and uh, it was great. I really, I really liked it. That community feeling. It was a bit tight. I mean, Jeremy Witter was in there, a bunch of people, but the last couple of years it's been, we've just kind of Bellman and uh, Tim, the other two guys we drove down with, you know, they're, they're kind of the crew we always drive down every year, but one of those guys will get a house. And then this year, Troy uh, from Georgia got a house. And Troy in April and Tracy and I stayed in this one smaller place. And then everybody else stayed in the uh, the bigger house that they got. But since they moved it to the other side, to the town side, there's two or three big hotels right there in town. I know there's a lot of people. We stayed in a hotel uh, two years ago. And it's just convenient, man. You just, you know, you leave your board down at the race. You walk out of your room, you walk three blocks, and you're at the race start. So that was a huge move on Ben and Kim's part to uh, not only for just accessibility to the water, because now they've got those floating docks, and you can get, you can get, you know, six, eight people in the water at once off that dock, whereas over at the other side, they had those two little gravel pathways down, and you were just getting your feet just trashed. And,
0: it but, was one at a time.
1: <laughs> yeah, but there's kind of a little scene on the North Shore over there. You know, there's Whole Foods is over there, which is kind of one of the pilgrimage stops when you get there. Everybody always goes to Whole Foods first. But the North Shore is kind of cool. There's a bunch of cool restaurants, and it's a little more low-key than downtown. That's where we've been staying the last few years. But basically, to answer your question, it's just pretty much Airbnb and uh, Home Away are the two kind of go-to spots. And uh, Again, a lot of people stay in the hotels, but that's... Uh, that's been kind of our strategy the last few years. I think next year, 2020, we're already planning. We're, we've we been looking at these houses out along the river. They're a little ways out of town, but they sleep like 10 or 14 people, and next year's Tracy's 50th, so I'd like to uh, – I'm thinking about going down Tuesday uh, next year and spending Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, maybe having a party for Trace on Thursday when everybody's still a little loose and not all cranked up about the race on Friday because that's kind of the – the way that it rolls out is you you know you show up on wednesday thursday is kind of the socializing day where there's i know a couple locals have a barbecue and there's always parties at like the brewery or something and there's a lot of get-togethers like the paddle monster squad has a gathering and and um but friday everybody's in bed early you know hydrating and chilling out but it's interesting because you get all your social time in on thursday and then at the award ceremony, and then Sunday it's like a ghost town. Like everybody's just gone. They got to get back to work. And you know, there's little pockets of stuff around. We had a nice brunch this year on Sunday with probably 15 people, which was nice. But, so
0: would you say that logistically every year gets easier and easier for you because yes. you figure out something different every time? Yes. Yes. And then so that piece of the puzzle is laid. Yeah. You don't need to worry about it again. Yeah.
1: Yep. Uh, I would say.
0: Of all the years,
1: this year was hands down the most stress-free and the easiest, even including the, the finish line sponsorship with the cabin and all that. It was, everything was just smooth sailing. We had a better, you know, the the community of probably, I think we had nine of us or eight of us. We all had to get the boards to the start. and But, you know, a couple of years back, there was a little friction because we had two cars and some some breakdown in communication on how to get boards here and there. And But this year, everybody was just it was easy we got the boards dropped off we all got a training paddle in actually got the demo in oc2 and it was nice man but it was definitely much easier so
0: how does being that prepared help you come race day
1: um just the mental stress you know when you anytime you do a first thing like first time you do molokai first time you do catalina first time you do anything there's always that mystery. Like you've never seen the river. You've never done the course. You've never, well, remember the first time we did run of the Charles back in 2010, it was like, holy shit, 19 miles. Remember, uh... god damn, what's his name? Sean McDonald. Remember he packed like two dry bags on his, on his board and he actually stopped in Wellesley, sat down on the overpass and made sandwiches. Like none of us had any idea that we could survive 19 miles. It was like, 19 miles on a paddleboard? And then you set that benchmark, right? And it's like, oh, 19 miles is really not that bad. And it's the same thing with going into these races. The first, you know, the first year you can always see the people that are, it's their first time and they're like, oh man, I don't know if I can do it. It's like, of course you can do it. You just, well, really only they can determine that. But I think the more you do it, the more it becomes just, you know what to expect, right? That first year is always like you're stressing, but definitely to answer your question, to have your systems in place and everything organized and ready, it's like okay, we got to get the boards down to the to the finish line on Friday. We got to register Friday night. Then we got to get our meal early, load our bags, get to sleep, have everything laid out. And you just know, you know, it's like you've got the list. You don't even have to make a list. It's like okay, you got to wear your compression, you get your shorts. I got a rain jacket, my Camelback, this amount of water, this amount of food, and then you just, I think where was it? I might have been two years ago, I actually left my camel back in the freaking house in the fridge and I had to drive back across the river and get my camel back and get back to the start. And that was kind of a shit show. But those are the the way you learn, you know. So this being year that was my one, um, wait, thirteen, no, fourteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen. It was my sixth one. So it was you know, it gets easier. And you look at guys like jeremy and the guys that have done it every year there's actually dudes that did it there are people that will be coming up on their double buckle in two years and and those i mean it's just it's becoming more like a gathering in that sense it's more it's more like and i I was talking to somebody about this and i always tell ben and kim when i talk to them it's just like those guys have created something that's it's, it's, it's it's so much more than a race it's like a cultural event it's almost like the laconia biker rally or something right it's like Everybody from the East Coast just drops at Chattanooga for this weekend, and I literally there were people that I see once a year, and I talk to them for five minutes, and I feel like they're family. Like I've seen, I saw three or four people that weekend, and I was just like, "Holy shit, it's great to see you!" Blah blah blah. And it's like I gotta go, and you never see him again, and then you see him the next year, and it's like, "Hey." You know, it's like it's the only time I ever see like Steve Dulak. We sit at the dock and we eat fried chicken after the race, and spray people <laughs> with champagne. And then he takes Isabel and their daughter, and they go back to the hotel, and they're gone the next day. And that's the only time I see him. It's like we hang out for that one hour at the dock, and the guy's like a brother to me. You know, it's just, it's amazing.
0: Yeah, I think that's how Ben wanted it. And yeah. I remember the first year, um, he gave a pretty pretty lengthy little little speech about how he wanted to grow the race and really? he didn't really know where the race was going but he really he really liked how it all went and he liked the organic feel of it and he wanted to try to keep it the same and yeah. I think I think he's done a great job of that whereas yeah. other races just kind of I don't know try to try to do too much too quickly yeah kind of half-ass it and then people stop going and other people show up that you don't want there yeah um that's you're right though that's the
1: thing about Ben man is is he and it's Kim too but those guys are like so mellow and kind-hearted and awesome but yet they're both just fucking fierce like you would not you don't it's like Ben and their vision of the race is their vision of the race. And I think that's why it's grown like it has is because those guys are so just, I wouldn't say obsessed, but they're just so clear on what they want it to be. It seems to me like from the outside, like I was yeah. talking to to Ben, uh, I don't know, So after we started sponsoring, but we were talking after the race, this is probably like two or three years ago when Riviera was still in business. And apparently the guys at Riviera contacted them and they're like, What's it going to cost for us to be the blanket sponsor of this race? And Ben's like, it's not going to cost you anything because the position's not available. It's like we don't want that kind of sponsorship. And the guy was just like, what? And he's like, yeah. It's like we don't need your money. We don't need your sponsorship. And we don't we don't need a blanket sponsor. It's not what we're about. And I just thought that was amazing, man, because I think so many people, race organizers, obviously there are enormous costs in running a race like this: insurance, venues staff tent rentals logistics i mean you know you got 600 people at 200 bucks a piece and that's
0: what 12 12,000.
1: Uh, yeah that's just registration fees man but it's All right but i mean if you think about what goes into it and i i think it's it would be very easy to get kind of your vision blurred by the lure of a fat payout you know if you have the big sponsors coming at you and being like hey i'll give you 40 grand to blah 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 but those guys have just kept it the soul patrol man and, and the, the sponsorship list grows every year i mean I'll, I'll do it until i can't do it anymore and there's there's probably i would say there's probably 10 percent 15 20 percent more sponsors this year on the on the little, uh, like the shirts on there were last year, like four, two, five came in, boat came in, barks, like donating boards. I mean, it's just, it's awesome, man. It's 120,000, not
0: 12,000. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. It's four zeros, months. not three, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but, but still, um, that's, there's still a lot of costs involved in, in races oh, yeah. that people probably don't realize. Yeah. Um, I remember the first year I did it. I think we had met Ben at Battle of the Paddle that year. Yeah,
1: 2014? No, no 2012. I don't think I went that year.
0: No, that was the first year. Oh, Battle of the Paddle, yeah, in California, yep. Yeah, yeah so yeah. you and I had gone out and stayed at the Werner House uh, for Battle <laughs> of the Paddle. That's, yeah. that's a whole other story. Yeah, that's a whole other story. And that's where we first met Ben. And yep. we're, we're talking about Ben Freeberg. Uh, I don't think we've mentioned. We just keep saying Ben. Um, but Ben Freeberg for those who don't know he's the, the organizer of, of Jack, and and then so that that was in September and that's I think that's when and how we heard about the Jack, and I got back to him like the next week and I was like hey I'm going to come to your race and without even a question he offered up his house for me to stay in wow. he's like if you need a place to stay you can stay with me like, all right, cool. And then the next year, again, it was a total last minute thing. That was, so it was 2013. I had done the Blackburn Challenge, which is 20 miles. The next month I did the 100 mile paddle in New York. And then I also did the Cape Cod Bay Challenge, which is 30-ish miles across Cape Cod Bay. And then I did... Chad Jack. So that was four super long distance races or Mm -hmm. what were, um, at the time everyone thought I was crazy because I did that many long distance races in the span of (laughs) two and a half months or something. But again, Chad Jack was like a last minute thing. I didn't know if I was going to be able to pull it off. And I called him a couple weeks ahead of time or a week ahead of time. And I was like, Hey, I think I can make Chad Jack happen this year. Um, and he's like, yeah, no problem. Let me know when you're in town. You can, yeah. you can stay at my place. Yeah. And it was just, it just made, made logistics really easy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it, it kind of sucked that it was last minute decisions, but, um, uh, it just kind of highlights the kind of person Ben is, uh, just willing to help at yeah. drop of a dime. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, made it, made it really easy. Um, I remember you driving down there. I think you had that
1: black truck and I remember remember you packing that board on there and heading down there.
0: 2013 that fall, uh, I actually moved down to Key West. Oh, that's right. So I packed up pretty much my entire life into my truck. That, that fall went and I, uh, I went to Virginia. God damn, that was 2013? Yeah, I went to Virginia Six and stayed with ago. my friends Bill and Ann. And then from there, I drove to Chattanooga, raced in Chattanooga. And then I drove down, I stopped in Tampa. And then I drove to Key West and I lived there for however long I was there for until I came out to, to Maui oh. to do Molokai. So, um,
1: Nice.
0: But, yeah, one thing that you talked about um, was that there's a Whole Foods in Chattanooga. And I think every year I've gone there, that's been just central. (laughs)
1: It's the first (laughs) place place you go. You just pull into town. It's like, I'm hungry. Let's go to Whole Foods. Yeah. And you always see paddlers there. It's like, and then there's that little Rock Creek outfitter next door, and you always end up going in there for the goose and the – Yep. I bought actually bought a bottle this year that I was going to put my gels in, and I ended up just sticking them in a waste waste pack uh, Camelback. But yeah, Whole Foods. I think I ate there. We probably went there like five, six times this trip. (laughs)
0: I'm I'm very picky about what I eat. Yeah. Um, leading up to a race, specifically race week, and so in terms of. Like planning everything, I have pretty much everything that I want to eat on certain days already planned out, leading right up to the race. And when you're traveling someplace, that can get thrown way out of whack. Yeah. Do uh, You just, guys have a Whole Foods like, on Maui? There's we one do. in Kahului, right? There is. Yeah. Um, so if there's a grocery store nearby, I can I can usually figure it out. Yeah. Uh, in the past few years doing the six-man Molokai race, Molokai to Oahu race, um, I've been able to figure out what I can buy at the, the local supermarket there and mm-hmm. and get by because um, usually for race week I'm on a pretty vegetarian diet. I might eat some fish, but it um, seems like everybody everybody on my team wants like chicken and pasta, and, mm-hmm. and that's what they want to live off of, and those are the complete opposite sides of the spectrum where I operate. Yeah. So um, I think one year, one year I actually bought a jar of peanut butter and a sleeve of rice cakes, and that was my dinner <laughs> <beforehand>. <laughs> And everyone thought I was insane. But I was fine throughout throughout the race because I had I had uh, leading up to it fueled accordingly to what I needed, and the night before the race, I I knew that for me wasn't as important as yeah. two nights three nights before. Mm-hmm. So, um, so on that
1: on that topic of plant-based, stuff, have you seen this movie called Game Changer? I have. I just I, have, I just I,
0: watched. I, I really, uh, when I was out surfing this morning, I actually heard one guy mocking it, <laughs> <Really>? <laughs> quite harshly, with with someone else, um, saying that he he made a point of clouding up his blood today so he could he could perform better and made sure he had some t bone steaks and eggs for for breakfast. <laughs> um, and. I don't know how I feel about propaganda movies like like that one, and there's some other ones uh but I do choose to go with a more plant based diet
1: yeah
0: when I'm full on training mode
1: yeah
0: I've found yeah. I've found that it I just feel less groggy
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm very strict about my diet and what I'm consuming um during my training, yeah. It's. I've. I've tried a lot of different things. I've. I've gone vegan. I've been gluten free. I've gone no dairy. I've. I've eaten meat. I've, you know, just eaten fish. Of, you go down the entire list. I've mm-hmm. probably tried, that diet. And yeah. for me, I know what works best is, tons of greens. Yeah. Tons of greens, brown rice, quinoa, cheetah seeds. Um, sweet potatoes, beets. So I I know the, all the foods that I need to make me perform my best. Mm-hmm. So, um,
1: that would be the, that was my big takeaway from. It. I mean, all the, you know, anybody making a movie can edit it any way they want. But my takeaway from it was just the athletic benefits of just not eating meat before a race. I mean, I think before this year's challenge, I ate two hard-boiled eggs before I got on the river, thinking, like, you know, whatever, slow burn something. But, you know, I'm not too versed in nutrition, but uh, I definitely felt like I was needing fuel about mile 15. Thankfully, I brought... If we can talk about food and nutrition later but I definitely had like five pieces of solid food on myself that I just started, I started snacking at like mile 12, I was already into the solid foods and usually I can get to about 20, 25 before I have to get a real food stuff in me, you know, but
0: So one thing that happened to me this year during the Molokai to Oahu six man race um, was I had never had a can of Coke mid race. Oh! And aren't you supposed to do it like right off China Wall? That's exactly where I needed it. <laughs> so yeah. we we got right outside of of Cocoa Head, and I I was I was breaking down, and I I was kind of overheating, and I was I don't know if I had just inhaled a bunch of salt water after I jumped out of the boat. But when I got back on the support boat, I just, I needed something and I needed it not to be salty. And all the, all the electrolyte stuff that I had was just like, I didn't, I didn't, my body was like, don't, I don't want any more of that. And open up the cooler. And there was just this red can of glory just staring back at me. And, I popped that and and just shared it with with my teammates who had just come off the shift with me, and that saved me it It got me through the rest of the race. Yeah. and it was it was cold, it didn't taste salty, it had sugar, <laughs> had caffeine. I had never had coke before, and I don't like to try new stuff during yeah. a race. broke that rule, and i'm I'm really happy I did. And, um, yeah, there were, there were some Cokes left over from the race, and somehow they came home with me, and they were in my fridge. And, wow. and, and, <laughs> and I kept drinking Coke for the next week. But I'm I'm not drinking Coke anymore. I'm off the Coke.
1: Yeah. There's a time yeah. and a place for it. It's funny. Yeah. That, the, the first year I did Molokai, that was one of the common tips that came across, right? Everybody was like, what do you do, this, that, that. But there was the one thing, and there was like three people told me, drink a Coke when you're two miles off China wall. And I was like, all right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It was so crazy that that was exactly what my body needed without me yeah. knowing. And, um, it did get me through the race. I've also heard that Snickers. Yeah. pull through races, I did not. It eat. just
1: must be that sugar hit. And it's, it's know. something
0: I think at yeah. that point, like you've just ingested so much sodium, um, Yeah electrolytes and drinking salt water <laughs> that you just need something else to to yeah. um, to taste if nothing mm-hmm. else so yeah it's an I, interesting uh,
1: thing when, when you start to fatigue it's a, the, the cravings that come up like a lot of times after you chew on you know those those cliff gel those cliff blocks which are absolutely amazing because you can swallow them whole but there's times when you're just like, damn, I want a piece of beef jerky, man. Or something like not friggin' squeezed out rice syrup and, and
0: protein. You know, it's just. Yep. There was one guy on our boat who was just hand feeding himself poi.
1: Really? I've heard <laughs> yeah. that too. Poi's a big one.
0: <laughs> uh. um, so, I mean, yeah, it was kind of interesting to watch. Uh, 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 but, um, yeah that's funny but, um what yeah, else asked, about it, jack
1: the well the nutrition i would say it's interesting i was uh doing how battle many, with my uh-huh. how many
0: ounces of fluid did you bring with you
1: this year i brought um so last year the the problem in years past is uh, using the cat the standard camelbacks what I always get is I always get a bleeding chafe right on my pectoral tendon that meets my deltoid, like right in the right in the front of your, you know, the outer limit of your of your pectoral muscle where it meets the shoulder, like that always both sides just rub through to bleeding at the end of the race. So I was like, I'm gonna try one of those vest packs, and I actually had them uh, FedEx to Ben and Kim's house, and I picked them up the day before the race never having tried it in, you know, the whole nothing new on race day thing. But um, the functionality of it is having the, the difference is, is it, it has a pouch in the front. So the pouch in the front lashes over to the pouch in the back. And then you have two straps that go around your chest side to side from your back pouch to your front pouch. So you don't get anything over that that chest area there. Everything is low around your ribs or right around your neck area. But the problem with the vest packs is, and if vest pack, you're listening to this, uh, the elastic straps suck. Like I literally, every five minutes, you have to reach down because the thing backs itself off. So they have the cam buckles, like the uh, camel backs, you know, where you just pull and the tension locks it in. But it's all elastic, like their waist strap and their chest straps are all elastic. And the problem is too, is that the cam buckles are over your shoulder in the back. So in order to try to reach the tabs to recinch those things, it's like, you feel like Houdini, you're like reaching around. And if you're in a draft train and your shit starts coming loose, it's a pain in the ass to, to try to find a strap. You know, the only time you can do it is when you you get off your, your shift and you're drifting back to the back. You've got to try to fish out a snack and then get your bag all tight. So this year I duct taped the shoulder straps of it, which was good, but I didn't duct tape the rib straps. And I battled with the things the whole time. There was, uh... so anyway, back to your question. Um, when I got back, I contacted a bunch of guys that I, were was were in my group and you know, like Daryl Horton and I wasn't with those guys, but the guys that finished ahead of me and a lot of the guys around my time, I asked them what they used for nutrition and how much liquid they took. And it seems like across the boards, three liters is the number. So, I, like, I think- A hundred ounce bag. Yes. So I didn't have, I had a 1.8 liter backpack on, and then I had a 50 liter waist pack that was half full, but I squirted six cliff gels into it. Because another thing that I found that's easier than pulling gels out, ripping the tab off and trying to squeeze it like toothpaste into your mouth and then dealing with the packaging. And this is something that Burr, Burr Tupper did and showed me is that he took five or six of them, and I did this a few years ago, is put them into a bike bottle, top it off with water, shake it up. Then it's just a matter of one blast into your mouth and you got a gel, you swallow it and you're gone. It's like a fraction of the time. So this year, I put six gels in my waste camel back, filled it about halfway with water because I didn't want to dilute it too much. So I probably had 25 ounces in there and then uh, I don't know how many ounces 1.8 liters are, but I'm guessing it's close to 70 so I had probably not quite 100, and I, I ran out. I mean, I was, I, I didn't run out until I was probably a mile off Hales Bar, but I did stop. I've never stopped at aid stations before. I was drafting with this guy Jeremy Dees. Our first draft train got blown up by this wind gust, so he and I kind of fractured off and started working together. And uh, I think it was around mile 19 or 20, it was that one on the, on the right side where there's the dock. And there was a bunch of people clanking cowbells, and I came in and just asked for water. And this woman went to her car and got me a bottle of water. And then about a mile later, we came up on another aid station, and all they had were gallon jugs. And they were like, "We'll fill your bag up. And I said, we don't have time. And they just handed us the bottles, and we took giant slugs off of them. And then as we got around to uh, the dam, I tapped my gels, and then uh i finished my water probably a mile out and my bags were pretty much empty i had a little bit left in my backpack but again the vest pack has this really unique um bite valve it's not like the camelback there's like a center hard thing in it and i couldn't get my flow right this year there was something jammed in there i don't think i shook my powder enough when i loaded it and i was back blowing on it and trying to clear the line but i could never really get a good flow it was like a it was probably a good thing. It was like kind of a trickle the whole way, so I did. I probably had twelve ounces left in there when I got to the finish line. But um, the general consensus that I got from a lot of the faster
0: guys is that three liters was the number. So in years past, I for that race, I've taken two bladders. One was a hundred ounce bladder. The other, can't remember if it was fifty or a hundred. But yeah. one was filled with just water, mm-hmm. and the other was filled with uh, whatever mix I was hooked on at that time Yeah, uh, and water. And then yeah. in addition to that, I had a shaper cup with another secret formula um, as like an oh shit bag. Yeah. Like everything's going wrong this is my last-ditch effort to try to save (laughs) myself from utter meltdown. I'd have that. And then I had another one that had uh, something for post-race because the years I did it, we never really had the setup dialed in at the end. So it was like I was just kind of – bringing whatever I needed because Mm -hmm. especially the first two years, it was pretty bare bones down at the Marina when you showed up. Um, so I would have like a shaker cup full of protein and you know, an extra bar or two just for, just for the finish. Um, for when I was ready to not throw up and, and have something. Um, and I don't know, I think I kept one, I had a waste pack camelback that I would have on me and then the other one was just on my deck and Mm -hmm. if I needed it I would just crouch down and and take from it there that's a pretty popular technique rather than having it on my back back. yeah Uh, because one thing I learned with the 100 mile paddle was I didn't want anything on my back and for that race I had everything on my deck and I had Mm -hmm. made up rigged up a seven foot hose yeah so I didn't even have to crouch down that yeah. takes a lot of sucking but it was pretty effective because one I didn't have to crouch down two I didn't have to have anything on my person mm-hmm. and I've I've really gotten to the point where I just don't want to paddle with anything on my body anymore no because um, every little thing can chafe after time mm-hmm. um, no matter how comfortable you think it is Yeah. So um so that little hose setup was pretty awesome. And then for our uh our Yukon race, I actually rigged up a hose that was a little bit longer um just so the bag could be uh up in up in the front of the boat and not on me.
1: Yeah. So
0: that hose I think was it was probably like three or four feet. It wasn't, I remember huge. That thing. It wasn't huge. Um and actually for for the Yukon race, I switched away from Camelback and I went to the Osprey um, bladder. And it's got
1: like the Ziploc top, right?
0: It does have a Ziploc top. And the mouthpiece is a lot like the Vest Pack that, mm-hmm. that you're talking about. It's got the hard, hard center piece and um, rubber on the outside that uh, has broken twice. But they're really good about. Just sending you a new piece. Yeah. So, uh, you, I, I have bitten through them, twice now, and uh, they're they're good about replacing them. So, good for them. <laughs> I haven't yeah, I, tried, actually, I, I haven't tried their 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 actual uh, backpack mm-hmm. situation or waist pack situation. Uh, I just I only have the bladder. hmm So, yeah, I'm actually I was actually. <clears throat> doing a bit of
1: sketching on the on the road trip home of, the, I know a commercial sewing place in Fall River and uh, I just thought of like what would be the perfect jack pack. You know, it would be, and that's why I called all those guys. I tried to get a, a consensus of all right, how much food you bring in. But I think that the chest, the chest feature of having a pouch on the chest where you can pull solid foods but also be able to stick trash right on the fly. You're not trying to stick it in your pants, shorts or, and also having, you know, Camelback makes that lumbar, lower lumbar bladder now. And if there was a way you could rig that load down around your hips, while still carrying a little bit, you know, break the weight up between your shoulders and your hips. And, uh, I don't know, just trying to, trying to think of ideal Chatterjack, uh, gear. And I'm back on the nutrition thing. When, when I got off the, the river uh steve and uh danny ching were hanging out in the cabin eating chicken and just listening to him talk about his he was saying that he was cramping at like mile 13 like those guys were he was telling me some of his speeds like when he was pulling they were doing like seven two in the draft train and then uh down to like six nine you know but somewhere in that area and he was saying and he was like you you know he had those little running bottles and he was rambling off this stuff he's like yeah I cramped and then I uh I took some of this magic potion I forget what he called it but he said and I knew that I had four minutes of cramping and then it would be gone and then he just described like this entire trip down the river where he cramped at mile 20 and he cramped at mile 28 but he had like this little magic concoction or some breathing technique that would would uh you let the cramping subside and then he was just back in the game. But it's, it was amazing to hear, you know, after 30 years of racing or whatever he's done, it's just that, that legacy and, and his knowledge of his body and what he needed and all that was just like, holy shit, man. It was like talking to the master on top of the hill, just like next level kind of stuff, you know? And I don't remember what I saw, I saw his pack and he had one of those kind of Molokai camelback packs. It has the, the two shoulder chops that come together in the chest with the pockets on them, which is similar to the best pack, but I'm guessing it was probably a hundred ounce bag as
0: well. Yeah. It's it's interesting how if your training is on point, you know exactly what your body needs. Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember for the hundred mile race, one of my, uh, training paddles was a 40 mile paddle. With, I didn't really have a destination. It just turned out to be 40 miles, and I wanted to see where my body was breaking down and how far it could go on just water. And so I, I set up something with my sister, and I was like, "Hey, I'm going paddling. Can I pick? You, can I call you and for a pickup sometime later today?" <laughs> and and I didn't tell her where I was going because I didn't know where I was going to end up. I just, I literally just wanted to see how far I could go on just water. Yeah. And while maintaining a, you know, a, a relatively decent pace. And because I, I knew that if I could do, you know, X amount of miles on just water, then I add in all this other stuff, all this other nutrition, then I can you know take from that that I'll be able to go that much further mm-hmm. and so it turned out to be just over 40 miles i think that on day on water on just water God and damn. i i for i forget how i wasn't on the water that long it was like 6 hours or something like that and i was i was at a good stopping point and um uh, it was convenient for everybody And so I I called it a day and, um, but it gave me a good idea that come race day, which was, so the hundred mile race was two days. First day was supposed to be 60 miles, second day, 40 miles. And so I knew that come race day, I could maintain say six miles an hour for 40 miles on just water. So you just take little bits of knowledge yeah. from every little bit of training you do. And if you're you're good about either writing it all down or just mm-hmm. remembering it yeah. and knowing your body and having a training plan and a race plan and everything can come together. And yeah. when your body starts to break down at mile 13 and you're cramping, you know how long it's going to take for your body to recover and be like, yeah. okay, let's keep going. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was, let, you kind of led into the next thing I wanted to ask you, which was just kind of like wrapping everything up, but like what does getting ready for Shadowjack 2020 look like for you? Well,
1: after, after Yukon, I grossly lost interest in paddling. Something in that race changed me physiologically that just, I had no interest in picking up the paddle. But one thing that this year's Chatterjack did is it definitely fired my stoke meter back up. And um, I think the last paddleboard race I did prior to Chatterjack was Chatterjack last year. It was two it was that was the only stand up paddleboard race I did in three hundred sixty five days were two Chatterjacks. <laughs> so for me, it's starting with, I've already spent, uh, I've been back probably, what is this, it was, the race was two weeks ago, uh, or was it a week ago, Saturday? Anyway, like 10 days, but I've probably got 10 hours in on a new board design that I've been just tweaking. It's it's basically running off from the Sprint Master lineage, my original Dropwell board, and then... So just again, trying to find equipment specific for that race, and there's three things that I think would factor in. One is it has to be good in chop and upwind specifically because the river, and that was another thing that was just a side note, freaky this year, was that that normal kind of depth zone area there from when you make that last kind of eastbound turn before you hit that, it's like the, the right, horn of the upside down horseshoe that is the last 10 miles that's usually like the death zone that's i've seen more people blow up there and like just totally bonk but this year it was like straight downwind like we came around <laughs> when, when, jeremy, when jeremy and i did that um that uh water break at the relief station we took off from the dock and i'm like dude i don't want to say anything but check out this wind right now and he's like i know man i hope it lasts and we start going around the corner and it's starting to go more and more and more downwind. I'm like, dude, I'm not trying to jinx anything, but this is getting crazy. And sure enough, and that's where we got separated. It just literally, it was like quartering maybe 10 degrees over the right shoulder and just nuking downwind. And it was like, I knew because it was a horseshoe that we were going to get this amazing downwind. And then it was going to be a hell slog to the, to the dam. And we had, I guess it had to be, I think my, my, uh, GPS, it was like mile 20. Well, I didn't turn my GPS onto a mile 20 cause I, the gun went off early again, which is another thing that needs to be addressed because it a <laughs> clusterfuck start again, which is whatever. But, uh, yeah, the downwind was incredible. It made, it made that section almost fun. It was like, I can sit here and just catch a little bump, have a little snack and rest up for the last four miles around the corner up to the dam and, you know, it was a little headwind, but by the end of the day there was there were white caps coming down the down the, the lake there. And I was those those eight hour finishers, man, my hat's off to those people dude. They just the longer the day goes, the shittier it gets and they just get hammered. But anyway, year. so uh every
0: <laughs> I said every, every year. year.
1: Yep. Yep. So if you're listening to this and it's your first time, I would say train up and, and try to uh get it done in seven hours because those seven to eight hours is Whoever's in charge knows you're out there and they send the the lightning bolts down for you. But um, yeah, so anyway, my next year is looking like, one, we're going to try to rent a big house for Tracy's birthday. That's kind of a side note, but the sponsorship thing, there's a bunch of stuff I want to do at the dock and go a little bigger. that I want to do this year. Normally we get that cabin down there and have this vision of having those, like a water jet tunnel, like just have a piece of like 20 foot long PVC pipe with a bunch of jets. That shoot this arc out over the water so people can paddle through a tunnel of water. That's something I want to do. I got to run it by Ben first, but it may require like a pump. I don't think the water pressure on the docks are high enough, but I could use a pump and a pressure tank and kind of load it up and just, you know, for special people, like you see somebody come through, that's, that's a good friend and just give them the tunnel, man. It's like, come over here and just, you know, but, um, so anyway, the fitness thing is, uh, I think something that improved and my ability to do so good this year is that I've been a year into like low level cardio training, just like jogging and body weight work, you know, almost every day. Not every day, but, you know, three to five times a week. I think that had a huge role in me not training and being able to still finish to where I did. That was big. So I'm going to, I'm definitely going to up my cardio game and my, and my long, slow grind training game. But gear, I'm definitely working on uh, getting some boards cut earlier than later. I know Troy and uh, Troy wants to talk about doing it unlimited next year, but we'll see. There's always big ideas coming straight off the race, but I haven't built a new board for myself since 2014 and I used Tracy's old board this year with good results. So I've taken that board and kind of Put less of an open water nose on it and more of a like a European style dugout that they're doing over there now, like the Mistral's and the F1's, where it's more of an America's Cup kind of the design forces the bow down and through the chop as opposed to up and over it. Because we were getting fucking pounded when we got that upwind, a few upwind blasts this year. And you just come up off the top one and slap into the, the trough for the next one, and you're just your whole body rattles. So to be able to, you know, I think those faster guys were using the the starboard sprints, which have that piercing nose. And it tends to punch you to chop a little bit better to a point, you know, if it's breaking two feet over the bow, you're, it's going to suck no matter what, but you know, up to, up to knee high, it's definitely a design advantage. So I'm just, I would like to get into training a little earlier this year and kind of sort out what width would be manageable out there under fatigue and under adverse situations as opposed to just being like, you know, two years ago, I took a 22-inch board and unlimited, out there, and my fucking thighs were just smoked by, like, because it was the first time I paddled it. I'm like, oh, it'll be fine. I'm just going to go, which has been my MO, like, three years running. It's like shape a board the day before the race, drive down, and then race it. And uh so this year, I would like to be more prepared and more familiar with my equipment and kind of get it down to the narrowest width I can possibly paddle comfortably and under fatigue. I'm thinking 23 this year was unbelievably stable. I didn't have, I had maybe one or two instances where I leaned a little hard into my stroke and almost rolled it, but was able to catch it. But I'm thinking with a higher, higher sidewalls and certain design tweaks, we could probably get, I mean, there's a lot of 21s out there now. I looked online last night and there's a European company making a 19 now. And that's just like, it's next level, man. But the Olympics are coming. And and I think with the youth coming up, I think, an 18 16 to 18 inch board when we get into the Olympics and sprinting flat water, you're going to see some crazy ass widths. Like a 19 is as wide as a prone, like a stock bark prone is 19 wide, and there's a, a board now that's 19. So I'd like to try to get 21 22 if I can. I think Larry Kane was on a 21 5 this year and a couple other guys, but it's just standard pro race width now is 21 5. If you're racing anything wider. And there is, in design sense, there is a substantial amount of speed gain than there where you go. Like a, the difference between a 23 and a 24 is pretty noticeable, and a 23 and a 25 is like night and day. It's like you're paddling a barge. So I imagine a 21 to a 23 is the same deal. You're just like, holy shit, what was I doing
0: all that time? So you're not gonna, you're not gonna paddle a canoe this year? Oh, maybe
1: if you come.
0: <laughs> but if if. Uh,
1: yeah, like I said, it just got my stoke fired back up to be able to to be out there and draft and 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 hang around and and have that element of community and the and the strategy of kind of trying to stay in a draft pack and but, you know, it is early. A lot of things there's a whole winter and summer and fall ahead before the race. But I would like that being said, I would like to get some gear built in the early part of the year and uh get out there and start training and then if a six man presents itself um and you guys come out then possibly we could jump into six man and hammer it there's only three boats this year
0: i think three three unlimiteds well they're not the easiest to get around and there no, are there are only and so we, many on the on the East yeah
1: so. and when you're when you're talking about those malolos they're thousand bucks and to just have somebody be like yeah well lend it to you it's like who's going to lend you and drive to chattanooga a twenty-two thousand dollar piece of equipment and let a bunch of yahoo's bang the paddles against the hull you know so (laughs) but we'll see and that and and just kind of trying to stay motivated on the training and and uh i think my nutrition whatever it's i might try a little bit less meat this year and uh just try to lighten up a little bit and um i don't know just focus on having a faster time. I'm not getting any younger, but I would like to, I don't know, I think my best time is under five hours. It might have been right at five hours, but it would be nice to kind of get down into the 445s one time before it's all over with. So, Right on, just, goals. Yeah, and just a big party. <laughs> big house, big party for Trace this year. We've already got somebody that's baking a cake, and we'll uh, – We'll let everybody cut loose Wednesday or Thursday night so they can be upstanding citizens on Friday and show up race day ready to go. Awesome. And you got to come out, man. And We can talk about it more this winter when I'm out there, but um, we'll figure
0: out a plan. All right. We'll work yeah. on it. We'll work yeah. on it. Always something to, uh, to Always. look for and work for. But... Uh, it's been awesome to hear about about that race. Yeah, I get bummed every year when it's happening and I can't be there. I feel the uh, same because, way, just because I right. have I have been 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 to it and experienced it and know exactly what you're talking about with that community yeah. feeling. Um, but it's always it's always great to hear what the race was like uh, and mm-hmm. how you approached it and everything. And hopefully, someone out there can take something from this. Because they're going to be trying to do their first Chatterjack in 2020. But of course, the first big step is actually getting registered for the race. Yeah. Do you know when registration happens for that? May 1st. May 1st.
1: Yeah, the race, I booked my cabin on the dock for following the consistency of the last few years. I booked it for the 31st, which was Halloween. And then they announced that it was the 24th. So luckily, I caught it and I called the called hails bar back and uh obviously i was the first one because she's like so all y'all are gonna have to change and i'm like i think so but i can't speak <laughs> to everybody but i'm changing so just give me cabin 14 and uh so anybody listening yeah you want to be up at a midnight eastern standard time on may 1st and get your name in there if you really want to race and then you've got months to figure out but don't be intimidated by it it's just a long day on the water but it's the community and the uh you know a few a few of our mutual friends bagged out this year some who have done some who haven't and you know somebody i want to get down here is mike i gotta get mike brown down here i know he's not really racing much these days but as far as like the guy on the dock dude brownie would be that guy he is like <laughs> the champagne spraying air horn blasting 16 different mask wearing like that guy is the life of the party and we need to get more people like him down there. But I would say again, in closing, if you haven't done it and you're thinking about it, don't think just go. It's, it's a unique race that there's not a lot of pros. There's some pros that go, but it's, it's a very different vibe from the stuff you see on Instagram and the APP tour and, you know, people chasing trophies and money. It's just, it really is a soul experience. It's, it's more like a, Again, like a biker rally or a music festival, it's just a gathering of the tribe of just solid people that just love doing what they're doing and like seeing one another. It's an amazing, amazing event. If I if I were to create an event, it would be exactly like Chattajack. And kind of I'm kind of bummed that it's not my baby, but I'm I'm stoked to be a part of it, man. I love being a sponsor and and uh, I love racing in it, and it's fucking awesome, man.
0: And why don't you just give yourself a plug since uh since you're a sponsor what what's what's your company what do you do Uh, the the,
1: the entity that we sponsor under is the hobo squad which originally is just as you know lauren started the whole thing with her boots in the winter but it's just it's just a group it's basically just an attitude more than anything hobo squad is i mean there's a website hobosquad.com that has a bunch of hats and t-shirts and stuff but anything that sells more or less, is in an effort to sponsor things like Chatterjack and help create events. It's basically, all the, the only thing the Hobo Squad is about is just getting people together to enjoy one another's company and do awesome shit. That's all. And most of the money comes out of my pocket to sponsor it. There's really not a Hobo Squad cash pool or membership dues or anything. So I'm pretty much you know, most years paying out of my pocket to sponsor the race, but there are, you know, our a, a group of people up here, everybody chips in, everybody chips in for the cabin and the expenses. So it really is a big, it's a team effort, but we're not a company like, you know, boat or any of the other sponsors that sponsor where, you know, we don't have a vendor tent. That's been on my agenda for, since I started sponsoring five years ago, that's, like let's have a tent this year and it's like oh damn it's october (laughs) we don't have a tent
0: but um last last thing do you still do the finish line sprint is that still a hobo squad thing oh yeah it's a finish line sprint yeah what's that all about
1: uh so ben came up with the idea of uh making two races in one by so the race basically is you race from downtown Chattanooga around the Hales Bar Dam to the dock at the Hales Bar Marina. The dock at the Hales Bar Marina runs along the bank and it's about, they say it's 300 yards long. So technically the race finishes at the end of the dock but there's a second little magical race that starts at the beginning of the dock. So you round a buoy and there's about a hundred people on the dock screaming at you to paddle your ass off after you've paddled you know, anywhere from four to seven hours. And so the fastest person in each division between point A and point B of the dock gets a trophy for that particular section of the race. So there's the overall finishers and then there's the finish line sprint finishers. And every year, that's another thing we do is we make the trophies for the uh, the finish line sprint. And uh, this year and last year, there were custom trucker hats and years past, I actually had a guy ask me this year where the spikes were. We used to pull up railroad spikes along the Cape because there were, uh, there's all these decommissioned railroad tracks that they're making a bike path over. And there's still sections where the track are in. So we just pull up the spikes and then we would turn them into bottle openers and have a machine shop uh, machine in Chat Jack finish line sprint 20, whatever the year was. I remember and this that. guy, yeah. this guy actually asked me, he's like, Oh man, my wife went a couple years ago and got the spike. Where are the spikes? And like, I didn't make the spikes this year, maybe <laughs> next year. And uh so. well, we'll have
0: to think of of something else for for 2020.
1: Yeah. So can, uh, yeah. There's a lot of planning a... and a lot of things to do, but you know, I want to go big on the dock and I'd like to have a tent this year and just have a little more presence and and be there a little earlier and get to spend more time with people because that's kind of what it's all about.
0: Well, awesome. Yeah. Uh, thanks for for sharing all that. Yeah. Um, no, oh, like it's great, you, man, As usual, and as uh, always, it's been a it's been great talking to you, and can't wait till we get to chat again. Yes, sir. Uh, not sure what we're gonna chat again about next, but it's all right.
1: We'll find somebody interesting and awesome to talk with. We'll get it figured out.
0: But uh, that'll that'll wrap everything up for now. Cool. You have a good rest of your night out there on on the East Coast. On the Gray Lady. And I'm going to go enjoy some more sunshine.
1: Yeah, man. Put some sunblock on. looks like your, uh, collarbones are a little rash from your board.
0: Uh, no, that, so that is a, a big hickey from my weight vest, um, oh, damn. To, to do a little plug. I'm doing Movember again this year. Uh, it's the 10th year I've done Movember. Wow. And what you're supposed to do with Movember is clean, shave in, and then grow out a mustache for the month of November. Um, since but you got a serious jump on that shit. <laughs> I, I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I've had a beard for a couple months, and I didn't want to let this beautiful mustache go to waste, so I'm just highlighting it for the month. And then another thing they started doing, the Movember Foundation started doing a couple of years ago, was uh, just to try to get people to exercise more, and uh, it also allowed uh, more people to fundraise. And so they do um, just doing some sort of movement activity um, every day for the month. And so I decided I am running a mile every day and doing 100 kettlebell swings every day. And so I've been kind of mixing it up every day to try to make it less monotonous even though a mile isn't really that monotonous. Uh, but the other day I, I ran with my weight vest and uh, did my kettlebell swings with my weight vest and that's actual chafing from my Jeez. weight. Back. Yeah, it it was pretty raw by the time I was done. And this is only this is only taking ten to fifteen minutes a day.
1: Yeah.
0: So that's that's all it takes to do uh, that bit of exercise and you achieve fitness at the end of that ten or fifteen minutes. Yeah, uh, man. And then you know every day I'm trying to make it different. So today I split it up into five sets just so I can try to do it a little bit faster, uh, break the run up a little bit so I can do more of a sprint rather than just a, a mile slog. But, um, how much
1: is that weight vest? 25 pounds, 20 pounds. Yeah.
0: So the same weight vest that, uh, I use for, for the Murph workout. Oh yeah. Uh, Murph workout, um, mile run, hundred pull-ups, 200 push ups, 300 air squats, Squires, mile run. Yeah. Um, break it up however you want but same uh, same same way to best so so that's what that's from it's my little hickey <laughs>
1: it's like a little root off the red nose collarbone man
0: but yeah you can uh there's a, a donation page set up that's in my instagram bio oh cool so people can check that out uh and
1: and again what is movember about
0: uh it is raising awareness for men's Cancers? Health, men's health. So, ah, testicular gotcha. cancer, prostate cancer, wow. uh, suicide prevention. Wow. Uh, yeah, they, they brought that in when a few years ago, again, when uh, they realized men were were just offing themselves because they were crazy, unhappy, man. and yeah. uh, so, so that's, that's what like, November all about. Nice. And, uh, that's why I have this beautiful face fur. Nice. Yeah. um, Awesome man. But yeah, until next time, my
1: friend. To be continued, brother. Yes, sir. Episode two in the books. uh, Episode two. We'll get us. We'll get us another guest here for this week's upcoming episode, and off we go.
0: All right. Sounds good.
1: All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Aloha.
0: Guys, thank you so much for joining us. Please give us a share if you enjoyed our podcast and tune in next time as we dive into more paddling and a little bit of life. Keep moving forward. Much aloha, everyone.